So this week we'll be doing uh, what we should have done last week <laughs> after our impromptu teardown of my CV. <laughs> I don't know, we're a few seconds in now. We might still yet come up with something spontaneous to railroad into the show at the last minute. <laughs> Let's be honest, we're not usually spontaneous, are we? No, no. <laughs> but then... By the same measure, we're not usually massively prepared either. So. No, I know. It goes so both is, directions. Is spontaneity turning up five minutes beforehand and going, what should we talk about this week? <laughs> we're not always like that. Sometimes no. we're prepared. Um. <laughs> Last week, we were talking about my CV, and I originally had my website. as my It said blog, and then my website. And... I it was not it's not a blog <laughs> it's just four articles I mean it does it does work like a blog if I was more committed it could definitely be a blog but one two three four articles one is from 2017 two are from 2018 <laughs> January of 2018 and then there was another one a year later in February of this year so I'm obviously as you can see I am a uh, prolific sporadic <laughs> blogger is the word I was going for I think <laughs> so I was talking about my CV I had my blog I called it a blog and I changed it to just being a website because I feel like it's just a website not really a blog I don't know what the definition of a blog is oh it's a, it's a web blog isn't it it's the, the idea is that it's a regular thing isn't it is regular the uh, important <laughs> I, I, I feel like it is yeah and anything less than that and it's just a website it's just a page of articles mm. is there something I don't know yeah does the semantics of it include the mechanism behind it? Because you put like you use a blogging platform to put things together sometimes. I mean, though you've rolled your own, haven't you? Is that right? I use Pelican, which is a mm, Python good. Python framework. I think it's similar. It's like the Python version of Gatsby. Oh, nice. That's that sort of thing. So all I have to do is put a markdown, upload a markdown file, and it sorts it all out for me. Uh, so what you're actually uploading is static files up onto the server. Oh, very nice. Yeah, it's a static static site, mm. and I have. But I've styled it myself. Yeah. No bootstrap here. Good lad. Good lad. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trained you well. <laughs> no bootstrap here. And yeah, so I've styled it myself based on some other similar sorts of websites. Yeah, and I had a good... I enjoyed doing that. My favourite thing was the uh, where you... The favourite thing I found out about CSS was where you can select the text. And it has, it's a different colour. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally a good test to use to see if someone's using like certain CSS frameworks as well as to select the text. There's like a certain shade of pink, I think. That's... I do have a certain shade of pink, but it was... Well, that's, that's on brand, so that's fine. Yeah, it was a, a pink I selected. So I've got, I've got my website, which is kind of a blog, because I have some articles on it, and if I was more committed, then I would write an article every week. But instead, we do a podcast every week, so there you go. I find it very hard to write I feel like it's something I should do, but I just I struggle with. So why do you why do you think it's something you should do? Where's that Where's that come from? Probably just hearing people say I, it's just it's just what people say, isn't it? <laughs> You're learning to code. You should write a blog about it. Blog as you go. Make sure you blog, and then you'll be more visible on the internet. I guess is the reason. Yeah, I think that's it's good advice. <laughs> it's to to document your progress as you go along and then you build up a repertoire of well, not a repertoire but a, a, an archive of of things so you then like all your articles make you more seo friendly and it, it, it gives a clear that baseline of keywords essentially <laughs> marks you out as what you're an expert in and what you've been what, you, what that's a, the first step in becoming known in a sphere particularly in like a tech industry where the kind of it's a mass of niches that all 
like everyone has their own little rock star um, that's come up through their following their own specific path. It's really good advice and it's what you should do. I don't do it either. Um, let me see when I last posted on my plug. Yeah, but you've got how many? Well, you got so about 20, 20 articles? Yeah, but from starting in 2013. I don't. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it's regular. You've regularly done about three articles a year. 27. <laughs> I bet you were looking for a job in 2017. <laughs> from were you doing on the job hunt from January 2017 no, to actually, May 2017? You got you got loads. That's that exactly correlates with a period of pretty of stability. To be honest, I think ah. as soon as we get to June and July, like yeah, tail end of July, I think was when I started job hunting. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Completely the reverse of what you'd expect. You were too busy thinking about applying to jobs rather than writing articles yeah I, I find that doing this kind of stuff like writing and posting to a website about tech is something that i do more when i'm sort of comfortable and have space and time to think and to to write things i think i guess um yeah certainly during a job hunt it's rare to stop and write an article but then mm-hmm. i don't know my my experience is maybe not typical because the last couple of job transitions have been quite rushed like, well, not rushed isn't maybe not the right word but frenetic anyway there's been a lot going on and a lot to do whereas i think had it run longer and had i had to work harder to find something it would have been that's probably the the sort of time in which i would sit down and like blast out a whole load of blog posts to try and <laughs> up my profile yeah uh, they're quite they seem like quite interesting well to me well i, I haven't read them all i'll be honest <laughs> but they seem more they're, they're very specific your things whereas my the ones i've done so far are not particularly specific or i don't know i i feel not well written <laughs> so like the last one i did lessons learnt in my first year of coding i i kind of regret it now because <laughs> it just feels like one of those you have hundreds of those don't you and it feels like something that splashes all over medium that sort of thing and i would rather be doing more technically stuff as a blog post and then because you hear about people saying, I was looking up so-and-so and then I came across my own blog post that I wrote about solving this specific problem. Those are the sorts of things that I feel would be worth doing. I just find I never have the time or the inclination to think, I'm going to sit down and write about what I've done. Because as I'm doing it, I'm, just, I'm kind of just getting through it, being like, oh, what's the next step? What's the next step? muddling my way through it would probably be very beneficial but i'm never going to see myself going back and then writing up what i've done that was a ramble sorry <laughs> no no that's okay it's good just getting it all out there yeah <laughs> <laughs> which is what you should be doing on when by writing it down you should be getting all that stuff out of yeah it, there's a lot to be said for having a record of what you've done um i wish i did it more often um finding the times and motivation is hard i really struggle um but i think I mean, there's an element at which you've just got to, like, you've got to do something to get good at it, particularly with writing and things. So, the reason I try to write periodically is because I feel like it's not one of my strengths and it's something I want to improve. In fact, one of the, the thing I put on a thing I wrote for Dev Dev Two that had a fair bit of traction was um, a piece on sort of technical like writing, but in terms of writing to clients um, and about sort of clarity of of language which was quite fun to put together um, because it was very much sort of writing to serve a specific purpose rather than writing to be creative or writing to necessarily entertain 
Um, but then I think that's one of the benefits of being in a sphere that's technical like ours is when you come across a weird bug and you find a way to do it that maybe is not documented anywhere. I think document it by writing about it in your blog. Um, so the first thing that you should get sorted out is your code styles on a website, like how you share snippets. Um, and that's one of the, I mean, most of the time when I come across a really obscure issue, it's a blog that saves me. Mm. If it's not on Stack Overflow, someone's written about it on a blog. But I, every time, all the issues I've come across, I mean, mm. everything's been written about a hundred times, hasn't it? Mm. <laughs> I found. But, but I'm not just, working on the cutting edge of anything. Like Everything I'm doing has been done before. But that's just a function of your experience, and that will improve with time. And then, so you want, to get, you want to reach the point where when you're coming across uncharted waters or you're more how you, what you would think of as cutting edge, you have a track record of writing regularly. So you've, you've built up that kind of base SEO juice or whatever they call it. Um, and, and you've got the muscle memory and like the familiarity with like how to write about a technical problem. Um, and also, remember that every time you come across something, even if it's been written about hundreds of times before, you're going to have a unique take on it. You're going to encounter it in a slightly different scenario. And even if you're writing about exactly the same thing as someone else, you're going to be doing it in a different voice because you're going to be writing as you. Um, and how you, I often find I see there's loads of sites that I respect and really enjoy the writing of and think are technically valuable, but I don't respond to them as well as I do to other things because they're just not written in the right like everything they're saying is correct and they are saying things that are relevant to my technical position but just because of the way they like their turn of phrase and how they put the thing together i don't respond to it as well as i do to other people um so having that sort of breadth of voices in in the blogosphere is really useful so having so you coming along and saying oh everyone's written about this before i still think to me as an outsider as an outsider it's valuable to have you write about the things that you're experiencing because you're going to have your own unique slant on it. Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. But then I'm just making excuses, aren't I, <laughs> for not doing it. <laughs> but I've got plenty more excuses up my sleeve, don't worry. Then my next problem is not having enough... Uh, I, I find if I'm going to write something, I want it to be worth writing. I don't want to write something that's like a few sentences. You're right, the length is important. I think there's like 300 words as a minimum is a good goal to get it something that's going to actually sort of be useful to someone and be worth reading possibly um it's not obviously it's not a hard and fast rule but um and then anything over like two thousand words is probably that's like a really in-depth essay that fewer people are perhaps going to get all the way through um so there, there is a sweet spot of length um i mean like taking 2017 when i wrote loads of blog posts like maybe even <laughs> 10 blog posts maybe <laughs> Maybe even got, got one a month out. <laughs> that was when I was my most prolific at writing. And I had, I don't know, for each one of those, there's probably five or six drafts that didn't make it through. Um, but I just had a rolling, like my Dropbox is just full of markdown files of blog ideas. Some of them are only two or three sentences long, but then in two months' time, I might come back to one of those and look at it and, and flesh it out. I mean... This experience, but my advice might sound a bit weird, considering how little I've blogged on my personal website. But then I did run a music blog posting a few times a week for five years, and they were all like minimum three hundred word things. And the way that that happened was by just being kind of persistent. And once I'd done it, once I'd got into the habit of writing, writing became easier. 
So it wasn't as much of a struggle to make time for getting my thoughts down in in words as it was before I started. It's been the same with the podcast as well, actually. Like, you've noticed the first few... <laughs> The first few times we did it, we'd need to like block out an entire day to get, <laughs> get the thing done. Whereas now we can be a little bit leaner and a little bit quicker, and things are more easy because we just we have that muscle memory of like getting set up, getting ready, doing it. So maybe it's a case of I just need to make sure that I'm like maybe blocking some time out for it, mm. so that it becomes like like the podcast is something I do at a certain time every day, not every day, every week, instead of something that I think oh now's the time to write something mm. I'm going to start doing that. Or it might even be better better to maybe think, oh, let's take 15 minutes every day and just write. And one one of the best pieces of advice I've ever had is to just write, even if you're blocked and you don't know what you're going to talk about. Just start sort of stream of consciousness writing, you know, if you're typing or writing with a pen. And eventually you'll start to, like, you just get a rhythm to it or you get, mm. like, it breaks that block of, like, oh, my God, where do I start? You just write gibberish. It doesn't have to be anything specific, but you're getting words onto a page in some format or other. And then eventually yeah. that means that the, getting the thoughts that you're trying to get out becomes much easier. Yeah, but I could imagine someone maybe saying you should write when you've got something to write about. You should wait until you're working on a hard project or the inspiration hits you. And then you think, oh, this is something that's definitely worth writing down as opposed to, I mean, I've, I don't know if I've got 15 minutes a day, <laughs> to be honest. No, make it, make, it five, make it five minutes before bed or when you first wake up. Just... Get an iPad out and tap away for a, a little bit before you get anything else done. <laughs> it would take my iPad five minutes to turn on. <laughs> oh, well, one of your fancy notebooks that you've got. <laughs> yeah. The point being, it's easier... So when you do have something to say and it comes around and you feel like, oh, this is the point at which I should really get it down, that becomes so much easier if you have... I keep coming back to the phrase muscle memory and it's not quite accurate, but that you just have the familiarity and the you know in your mind how easy it is to do and how you could do it really quickly. Um, it's like the, the old analogy of the person making pot, like the two people making pots. Have you heard that one? Or making ceramic plates? Nope, but I always love an analogy and yeah. you, you have an analogy for every situation. I do, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically the scenario is there's two people, one of whom is given the task, like, who have never never done any pottery before, ever. And one of whom is given the chance, like, like you've got a day, just make the sing just one best plate that you possibly can. We want this plate to, be, plate to be perfect, but you can take all day about it if you like. And then to the other person, they say, don't care how good they are, just make a thousand plates, please. <laughs> and by the end of the day, the person who was trying to just, like, churning out rubbish... <laughs> essentially just trying to make trying to get their number of a thousand it doesn't matter how sloppy they were just get them get them done is better at making plates than the person who spent the day faffing around trying to get the perfect plate because so much of it is not necessarily knowing something it's just having done it so you do something a thousand times you're going to get good at it um, and it doesn't matter and if you if you take the the policy that the that you don't care how good or bad those first thousand or a hundred are eventually just by sheer force of will and <laughs> through repetition and you know you know from being a music teacher practice is very very important practice 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 that's what they always say <laughs> um is it mandatory to put on the stupid accent as well well it's, <laughs> everybody does I, that is what my violin teacher sounded like <laughs> when i was at university <laughs> you're kind of taking away the fear of it not being very good in that case yeah, exactly. 
don't don't worry about it being a load of roll rubbish just get it out there and then eventually with time you'll feel more comfortable and it will become better hopefully a bit like we do with these podcasts we keep churning them out <laughs> we do, doesn't matter if anyone's listening doesn't matter if they're any good but we're having fun yeah and we've got better at doing it than when we first started we hope i know i think i feel like we have listening back to them i think yeah. what should i write about what should people write about when they're blogging because i think there's there's kind of two ways you go about it aren't there there's more you go down the personal side of stuff where you write about how you're motivated and the sorts of things you do or i guess you could go down more of a technical route where you are doing like mini tutorials for people i think in the long term from if you're like doing being a developer as a as a job doing the more technical side of things is perhaps more has more utility um so that's the sort of stuff that's going to make people like recognize your name and like you get that level a level of respect within the community as if you Mm. you have demonstrable evidence that you know what you're talking about and can talk about it yeah Um, that's what i feel like is more is more beneficial is doing those more in-depth technical ones. And I think that's good if you're learning as well. It's going to get, make you think about things more and probably more likely to remember them than just saying, this is how I'm motivated or this is how you should learn, which is what I did basically for the last one. <laughs> but it felt, it felt well, for, to me anyway, it just felt emptier than maybe a technical post that I've read before in terms of actual content there and actual usefulness. Yeah, but you're coming at it from a technical angle as you are a professional educator. And so you'd have more technicality in the way you'd know more about the mechanics of learning than most people do. So you have a unique, well, not necessarily unique, but you have an, 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 a less common insight. And to, to then take that and bring it to the world of learning to code as well adds a whole extra depth to it. I think that's a valuable contribution. And I think you can like, be very technical without talking about code at all. Well, we haven't really asked the question, have we? And the question is not, should you blog? Our question was, should you write about what you've learned? So should I be, once I've learned something, should I write Should I write it down? If we come at a different slant, well, all that stuff's still relevant for putting it on the internet, but do you think it's worth writing down notes Absolutely. as I'm going along? Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, have a, I have a helpers.md file that is just full of weird little code snippets that I come back to again and again. Generally, I find if I've Googled, had to Google something more than two or three times, uh, but it's not regular enough that it sort of seeps its way into my my mind's RAM. I, um, yeah, I write, write it down somewhere. So, but that's just code snippets. I mean, say if you were doing a tutorial on something, mm-hmm. would you would you be making notes as you go along on things as they happen? I do sometimes. Most of the time those notes are discarded, but the act of making the notes itself helps. Um, I mean, at work, if we ever come across anything unusual, we, we open up a page in Notion and kind of document that process as well because you're not going to be the only person that has to, to wrestle with something, particularly if the technical end, end point that you come to, the thing, the solution that you get is a little bit obscure or there's some weird hacks in there that you need. It's kind of an expanded form of documented code as well. Is there mm-hmm. just the saying what decisions were made and why this thing is weird and this is why it's weird which is important and i've been um we talked about a few weeks ago the classic computer science problems i have i'm now uh, kind of working through that and am making notes on each chapter but in like the python file Mm -hmm. so i just put little comments about what's going on and then if i found anything that i didn't understand i just added like a note in 
So those code, the code comments in there, you've added them all then, have you? Is that the, Not the ones, most ones that come after a line, at the end of a line, were, in, were there already. Uh-huh. Oh, but breaking them out into sort of saying what they are. And, no, I, think, I, I do think that it's valuable to have not just passively consumed something. I think the act of actively engaging with what you're learning, even if it is, you're just writing notes and then you never come back and look, never look at them again. I think that has immense value for me, certainly. I don't know other people may absorb information differently, but the act of actually having to write something down means I'm like much more likely to remember it. Mm-hmm. Like I find as well with looking at code snippets, if I copy and paste, that's in, in one side of my head and out the other. But if I actually write out character by character, like copy it across like manually, that's yeah, much more likely to retain that information and to understand it more as well, because you're then forced to go through line by line, character by character. Yeah. And like you really see it in a way that maybe I wouldn't if I was just skimming, like get the gist from skimming it and then paste it in and go, oh, yeah, that kind of works. That's I would never just copy and paste something. I would always write it out as I'm going along and then maybe and then maybe change a couple of things about it to see. I like breaking breaking things. It's quite yeah. fun. <laughs> see which bits can you remove and... And then I, I find you figure out what which bits do what more than if you're just mm-hmm. copying it out. What I find really useful as well is that now that I've reached a point where I have a kind of an established style and a, a format in, that I like things to be coded in, and I'm in a position to enforce that in the work that I do commercially, is um, like if I'm like the only the only scenario that this I mean I don't often do I don't, it's very rare that you have to copy and paste from directly from a blog post or a Stack Overflow answer, and that is useful to your code base now. That's that's very rare. But oft, sometimes it will be, oh, here's a sorting algorithm or here is a particular way of filtering a certain data set. And you kind of take that and translate it into your own style is a very useful way of, sort of absorbing that information. But it's the same process of writing what you've learned. Uh, interesting that you say copy and pasting from Stack Overflow is very rare. <laughs> well, not copy and pasting, but maybe writing out... <laughs> Seems like quite a common thing that a lot of I do. <laughs> I think it, yeah, uh, there's a, uh, it's useful, and I don't. I, you've been doing it longer. You've got more experience. You know more of the simple problems. I know it yeah, reached the point with a, a sort of semi mature code base where um, yeah, it's just the things that go wrong that you actually like. Oh my god, what is going wrong here? You need to Google it. Some weird quirk of browser rendering. Um, like they tend to be a bit more obscure, and that means that then the solutions themselves are less universal. So you do have to tailor everything. So anyway. when are you going to write the uh, yeah. Tom JavaScript linter? <laughs> I don't know. I thought about that for years and years and years. Um, Prettier helped me a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just uh, Prettier is an auto-formatting thing for JavaScript. Um, so every time I hit save, it just auto-formats. But then that is a level sort of, that's the grammar and the spelling Whereas what I'm thinking about is the sort of more stylish stuff that can't... Stylish is maybe not the right word, but the style-based things that are less enforceable by automatic rules. So it's like, yeah, if you're... like, How do you want to tackle this problem? How do you want to break out these variables? How do you want to put this thing back together? How do you want to format your functions? Like, what should... What sort of things should you be passing through? And how many how many arguments should this thing have? And that kind of stuff. Which, yeah, it's code, so at some point all of it can be. It could be enforced if you want it, but um, I think the effort to write that kind of a that kind of an enforcement tool would probably you, know, you may as well have built an entire enterprise application by then, anyways. <laughs> yeah. 
or a uh, uh, I can imagine you writing something to convert codes, non-functional codes, to functional code. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that. That, for instance, that is something that often comes up when looking at, um, yeah, looking at code examples that you see. So someone puts it in, and it's just full of mutation and side effects and stuff. So you want to kind of refactor that stuff out, and yeah, make it follow. A, yeah, actually, that's a very good. That's a very good example of where that kind of change in style comes in is refactoring things to be functional as opposed to not. Um, and we'll we'll find out what functional programming is soon. <laughs> yes, I still that, don't know. <laughs> yeah, but that that one is not. I think an episode to tackle to dive into lightly without being prepared i think because it's easy to say that a monad is just a monoid in the category of endofunctors but it's not necessarily gonna <laughs> translate at all without, easy to like, say easy taking, to say taking some time to to really like explain it properly i think that the, one the memoid of the oobly doodly <laughs> For a brief, se- like for a brief <laughs> second, then I thought, "Oh, he's been looking up some of the language." <laughs> <laughs> that sound that sounds like it could be <laughs> part of it. <laughs> uh. Well, I, I've I found out about memoization this week, and it's changed my life. Oh, go on then. Tell me, tell me all about memoization. Memoization is so. For example, it was in the Fibonacci thing actually. So instead of you just keep, it's like caching. You just keep a track of what you've, mm-hmm. what your program's already figured out, and then that saves a lot of time when you're running a process over and over again. Yeah, uh, there's like a memoizing is like a new, reasonably new thing in React. Like, ah, okay. Seems like a, uh, the, yeah. But the basic, common, yeah, the basic uh, principle computer science, <laughs> yeah, thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've been dealing a lot with the efficiency things at the moment as well, like bundling through massive great big lists and trying to make sure things aren't done every single tick of the CPU. <laughs> like, oh yeah, actually, let's take some take some thought over to actually, these little things that are normally so small that you never even think about them, and you're just mm. happy to just do them infinitely. Um, when they actually have reached the point where they're piling up to the to the level that uh, actually, yeah, some optimization and performance work is useful here. Which is quite satisfying. It's really yeah. satisfying. The interesting thing about these problems is, you like in my Fibonacci thing, there are a couple of them that if you do the Fibonacci of a hundred, it will just never finish, just because it's it runs so slowly. Whereas oh, then me. you add in memoization, it just does it in a. In oh, a clip. we have to play with that then. That it's fun. it's crazy how you probably, probably don't you don't notice it when it's like doing one thing, <laughs> but when it's got a lot to do, these are the sorts of problems where you can, and calculating pi as well. Yeah, you can. There's a couple of versions where it just they created it as simply as possible, no memoization or anything, and it just the computer will just sit there <laughs> with a, a the cursor blanking while it thinks. Whereas you add in that, add in the caching, and then it just in a in a split second it does it. It's quite impressive. Yeah, I've no, I've never actually done a Fibonacci calculator thing. I might I might go and uh, have a look at your look at your Git repo and try and redo them in JavaScript <laughs> for fun. <laughs> yeah. It would be fun. Yeah. I enjoy that sort of stuff. And then they do the there's a tower, the Hanoi calculator, mm. towers of Hanoi, yeah. and this is a kind of scenario in which like things like big O notation is kind of useful. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. and these things aren't useful. Like n- no one really cares about how to work mm. out the towers of Hanoi, but it's the thinking about the saving time. And oh, yes, yeah. so this is obviously linking back very well to uh, writing it down. So I've written it down so you can now have a look at it <laughs> and have a go yourself. Boom. Job done. <laughs> we didn't down what you've learned any, any tangent there. <laughs> no. 
so as as these episodes always seem to end is i have something that i need to do and we'll probably not ending up doing just because of time <laughs> we need a uh time management episode two <laughs> yeah we really do yeah i can do that <laughs> um to see how we're getting on which i'm not as well as i well you yeah i think all of that will change tomorrow yeah hopefully that's not some weird if that makes it into the podcast that's not just a weird philosophical oh everything will change tomorrow it's like, you will get some news it's about a new where day you're tomorrow <laughs> you will get some news about like that you've been waiting for this for months mm. <laughs> so well, by the time th- by the time this comes out it'll have well i'll know mm. and we'll have sent off some applications <laughs> uh, maybe um <laughs> i have not looked at my cv i'll be honest i've been busy yeah, another thing that I need to add to my list of many things to be doing <laughs> when I have time. You know what? Five weeks, I'll have plenty of time. Five more weeks. Six, mm. five and a half weeks. But I think that is completely the wrong attitude for job finding. I think the job finding should be top of your list. And anything prep, anything else is secondary to that. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that's why in five weeks, hopefully, I'll have applied to some jobs. And my CV will be done. Well, I'm, let alone five weeks. I'm hoping five days. I want this this time next week seven days time i want to know know what you've done who you applied to <laughs> have a look at your cv and your cover letters uh. <laughs> oh my goodness we've now got a section called follow-up we are in a we're an official podcast now well one of my ground rules when we started this was that we wouldn't ever start with follow-up and we'd always get straight into the deep, insightful topics. Straight into that we have, yeah. <laughs> Which we've clearly no, stuck to. No rambling but, at all. <laughs> we may have rambled, but we haven't followed up straight away at the start of episodes. Um, but yeah, yeah, you've kind of obliquely come at it anyway, because you were talking about your CV, um, which is follow-up to last week. Um, but it sounds like there's absolutely nothing to report. <laughs> Not at the moment. Yeah. And this is normally the stage at which we say there's nothing to report on the weather app that we were working on either as well. Mm. But, but yeah, I actually had some time to have a look and have a think. Ah. Yeah. So you've thought. <laughs> yes, I have thought and, in fact, done some um, thinking. So this is, I'm at wireframing stage at the moment. So if you're not familiar with kind of a design workflow, workflow wireframing is, is kind of what it sounds like. You're just having like putting boxes together and trying to work out how bits of information are going to go and what the most like useful way of doing it is. Um, so what we've got here at the moment is a basic table view of the data that you've been gathering based on i've just taken a snippet of four days out of the data that you've you've gathered so, so this is real real data so it's real data it should still be gathering i don't know if it is uh, yeah but does it does it automatically push to github no but i can push yeah. it now if you... that's fine yeah um but it did it got me thinking about how to put this together into a into a front end and how to get it out um first question is how do you feel about your databasey stuff being an api what do you mean? Like you've done with your rugby thing. So you just have, a, if I want to get this information, I have, there's a JSON endpoint I can point to and I could just fetch it. I could probably do that. Yep. The code bases are then slightly divorced as well, which is, is good. So no no Django. Uh, we could play around with it if you like, once we get further. I think just for prototyping, it'd be easier to not be learning new things as well as coming up with ideas at the same time. But what's what we really want, what the aim of the app with this in bit of information is is to work out like, at a glance how accurate is this three days out two days out one day out so we're comparing it from so we're just saying how much does so what this little mock-up is is just how much does the 
forecast vary in those three days. Yeah, and then the next question. I think temperature-wise, we could see how much the temperature varied on a scale uh, because there's numbers and it's easy to compare. But the actual forecast itself is generally little phrases like sunny intervals or light cloud or light rain or heavy rain, um, and it seems fairly. I was going to say there'll be a, a gradients, won't there, from heavy rain to blue sky, fair. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Yeah, um, but we need to codify that somehow, and we need to be to look at the data set and see how much variance there is just in the phrases um, because presumably they're all fairly straightforward and we can basically just assign each one a number value and then we can start working out a percentage from that. Yep. Mm. Mm. And, okay. then when, and then once we've got that data set, then, so I'm imagining this little little plot will sit underneath. Like you, load, you load the app on your phone or the website and the first thing you see is the summarized data for all time, like, Oh, it, throughout the history of this app running, how accurate has this forecast been for this area? And it kind of gives you a sense of like, oh, it, sometimes it's out by as much as 20%. And then a little bit of context as to what that 20% means. Even if maybe 20% isn't the right thing to say, but maybe it's like three different weather types out. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how we quantify that and describe it. And then underneath, you then have access to a chart where you can kind of browse through the days. And see this kind of little grid view. So I can make a model for the database. Oh, that'll take a while. That'll probably take the longest. Mm-hmm. And then once I've done that, then I can actually have the database and then sort out the API bit. So you'd have your, your website would be separate and mine would just be an API. Yeah. yeah. That might be the most, I think that seems to be the most light touch way of doing it. And the way that means that I can just muck around as freely as possible mm. without feeling. I feel like I want to do it in Flask because I know Flask better. Yeah. <laughs> but. Uh, Django is quite common as well, so I guess mm. it's worth uh, worth persevering with. So then, my next question, more conceptually, is: at the moment, you're you've just set it up, set it up to measure two locations. Is that right? Yes. This is going to be. I mean, it's going to be very tricky, and that's going to be a lot of data if we're collecting it from all over the UK. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we're starting. We almost need something that can dynamically go back and get that data, and then work it out. Just someone picks a location. On the fly, it, yeah, I don't think that will happen with the uh, yeah. with the BBC stuff. So let's get something done for those two locations, and then we can. Uh, if we just work on those two, and then we can, if we need to, we can scale out further. Because if it's just our little project, London and Cornwall, we've that's what we've got, isn't it? So that's like you, you and me, at the moment. Yeah. So yeah, it is. If that's if we feel like that is not scalable, or if it, if that's even taking too long. I'll give it a few weeks, and then if we're still not making any progress with that, then we can change tack. Hmm. And then we'll work on it, and we'll release it, and then we'll make lots of money, and we will never, won't have to work. Yeah, it's perfect. This is the dream. <laughs> so, tasks. <Yeah. laughs> I'll do a database model. And I think I will try and look, try and get that f- summary view worked out. A, what are we... What are, what are we taking from this to actually be the bits of data that we're showing to people? And then how are we going to actually show that on the screen and make it look nice? Yeah. Which is a more condensed problem. It's easy, easier to tackle, I think. Yeah, easy, easy. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> Thank you again for listening. Make sure to check us out at AQO Code. And you can get to our website, which is... AQOC.dev. And we'll see you next time. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye.